I'll admit that the last two years of my life there's been a somewhat of a void, an emptiness that has been fulfilled this morning being back with you again. We love you folks. We missed you. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. I'm not going to spend any time on that. But this afternoon we'll give you a little fuller breakdown of the events of the last two years. But God is good. And I thank him for that. Galatians chapter number 6, please, in your Bible. And one verse only, verse number 14. But God forbid that I should glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Many times a matter of perspective is very, very important in our life. And uh, sometimes we don't always see things as they are, or we see things as we perceive them to be, but it does kind of remind me about that fellow that was having a lazy afternoon and decided to sit down on the sofa there and kind of dozed off. His wife walked by and saw him sleeping and she was concerned the way he was sitting that he might roll over and break his glasses. So she very gently removed them from him. He sensed that somebody was there and he woke up. And she was down looking at him lovingly. And she said, you know, honey, without your glasses, you look as young and as handsome as the day I married you. He said, honey, without my glasses, you look pretty good, too. <laughs> so this is a matter of perspective sometimes. And the Apostle Paul came to a time in his life when he wanted to evaluate his walk with God. That's a good thing to do periodically. You ought to do that sometime. Just evaluate our walk with God. How is our walk with God? And there were many things I'm sure he could have associated his walk with uh, God with. But he wanted an honest standard. And how you measure is very, very important. If I take myself as a rule of measurement, then I look at somebody much shorter than me, a child perhaps, and I say, you know, I'm taller than you. <laughs> and then I stand next to some of you guys, and I'm not so tall. It's a matter of perspective. How do we measure? What's an honest measurement? Some years ago, somebody gave me what they call, uh, as a tool for fishing, called a, a fisherman's ruler. And what it was was a ruler, about 12, 12 inches long. But it's kind of unique because it came apart in the middle and there was a knife. So you could be in the boat and if you need to cut some string or twine or something, you could use the knife. Uh, there were little screwdrivers on it so if you needed to tighten something on your fishing pole or something. Just a handy little gadget. But it was also a ruler. So if you caught a fish, you could take that fish, lay it down the bottom of the boat and say, look at that, I caught a 12-inch fish. Or if you wanted to, flip it over on the other side and it says 18 inches. So <laughs> it's a matter of accuracy of the standard in which we measure our life. And the Apostle Paul came to this time in his life and says, how do I measure my life? That's a good question. How do you measure your life today? Some may measure it by their status in society, of your rank in the job. Maybe you have a position of high esteem and authority. 
Some may measure their life by how much they can uh, earn in a lifetime. There may be others that might measure their quality of life by what they possess, perhaps a, a beautiful home or several automobiles, perhaps a car or an RV travel vehicle. But how would you have an honest evaluation of your life? Is that how we measure ourselves, just by the things that we possess? When Jesus said a man's life consisteth not of the things he possesses. Why? Because they pass away. Everything you have, and I mean everything you have, you'll lose ownership of it at the moment of death. And somebody else will drive your car. Somebody else will use your golf clubs. Uh, somebody else will take your possessions. But the question is, who gets your soul? Where will you spend eternity that cannot be measured by the things of this earth? But the Apostle Paul wanted an honest evaluation of his life. He could have gloried in several things. Notice he says in verse number 14, But God forbid, don't allow it, Lord, that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He could have gloried in many things. He could have gloried in his intellect, a very intellectual man. He could speak several languages. I have a hard time with one. He was a, a man of great esteem. He had great power. He had great authority. He could have gloried in his accomplishments in life. But instead of all of that, he turned from all that he had to the cross of Jesus Christ. He said, I have no glory in my life except the cross of my Savior, Jesus Christ. He could have gloried in the virgin birth, although it was true, but he did not do that. He could have gloried in the miracles of our Savior, but he did not do that. He could have gloried in the pure life and example that Jesus set for us. But he did not do that. He said, I'll not glory in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. You can go almost anywhere in the world, even oppressed countries in which the gospel has been suppressed and repressed. And somewhere in that country, you'll find a cross. It may be hidden. It may be in somebody's pocket. Maybe it's in, in somebody's home. But the cross has prevailed throughout generations and throughout the world today. And the cross is a measurement. The cross is a measurement of a dead Jesus or a living Jesus. Sometimes people say to me, Brother Sousa, do you think it's wrong to have a cross in the church? You have one up here. And I answer is very simple. No, I don't think it's wrong to have a cross in the church. But don't give me a cross with a dead Jesus hanging on it. Yes, he hung on a cross. Yes, he suffered and he bled and he died. But that wasn't all because many were hung on the cross. With Jesus, there were two other male factors with him. And they were crucified and they suffered and they hurt and they bled and they died. But without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have nothing today. And it's not a cross with a dead Jesus on it that we glory in. But we glory that we have have not only an empty cross but praise God we have an empty tomb. I can take you to the shrine of Muhammad. I can take you to the shrine of Buddha. I can take you to the birthplace of many world leaders and many religious leaders but they're all dead. But I can take you to Jerusalem and we can go to the tomb of Jesus and even enter into it and verify he is not here, for he is living. That's 
That's the thing that sets Christianity apart from the rest of everything in the world, is that we have victory over the grave. We have victory over death because we have a Savior that not only died and was buried, but we have one that rose again the third day. The cross is a measurement. And I want to use that measurement today to look at various aspects of our life, if you will. The cross, first of all, if I could submit to you, the cross measures the depth of our sin. How deep is our sin? We brush it off so easily sometimes. I watch TV, news, and the killings, the shootings, the stabbings, the rapes, the murders, the robberies, and I've known, I know I've seen sin, but you'll never know the depth of sin until you measure it by the cross. How deep is our sin today? I've been in drunkards' homes, and I've seen the abuse, and I know I've seen sin. I've been in hospitals, and I know I've seen sin. I've been in mental institutions, I know I have seen sin. But you'll never understand the depth of your sin until you measure it by the cross of the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. You will never know the vastness of your iniquity, nor will you feel the shame and embarrassment of it until you measure it by the cross of Jesus Christ. And when I see Jesus bleeding and dying for me on that cross, as Peter says, he bore our sins upon the tree. Yes, the male factor once said to Jesus, and as the as one said, come down, save yourself and save us. But the other male factor said it right. We deserve what we get what we're getting here. We we robbed, we stole, and we deserve what we get. But this man, and he must have pointed with his head, he goes, This man pointing towards Jesus did nothing amiss. But yet, my sin and your sin was laid upon him. Do you like to be blamed for something you didn't do? <laughs> it's happened to all of us at times, I'm sure. Sometimes in school, you know, uh, something will happen and you'll get blamed for something. We used to have a little thing we used to do as kids in school. We would punch ourselves, you know. We would go something like, oh, teacher, turn around and, and point the finger to the guy next to me. <laughs> You know, and and her, <laughs> and and we would blame him. Nobody likes to be blamed for something they didn't do. Jesus was innocent, but he took your blame and my blame upon himself on that cross that day. Jesus dying for our sins. Can I remind you that Jesus didn't die for other people's sins? He died for yours personally. Every lie that proceeded from the lips, every thought of vengeance, hatred, lust, anger, every wicked desire of our hearts, the penalty was laid upon him that day, in which he who knew no sin became sin for you and for me. Now notice the Bible says, he did not become a sinner. He became sin. 
He did not become an adulterer. He became adultery. He did not become a murderer. He became murder. He did not become, he did not, uh, be, become a liar. He became lies. He who knew no sin became sin for you and for me. When he was laid upon that cross, paid in a penalty, Jesus plucked out of the quarters of heaven. The worship of angels, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, to come to Bethlehem's manger, no room in the end, be born in a stable, despised and rejected of men all of his life. Why did he do it? Because of your sin and my sin. You know the Ten Commandments. You might not remember them in order in all ten. But which one of them haven't we really broken? For Jesus said, if you break one, you're guilty of all. How deep is our sin? So deep that no angel can go to the cross and die for us. So deep that no treasures of heaven could pay for the iniquity that we owe. But Jesus, the rose of Sharon, the one altogether lovely, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the alpha and the omega, coming to this earth. Men had no time and no room for him. Do you in your life today? He became sin because my sin and your sin was so great. There was a preacher that preached the Sunday morning service, as he often did. There was nothing unusually hard about the service. The sermon seemed pretty simple. But at the invitation time, a man in the church, a good man in the church, a respected man in the church, began weeping. He came down that aisle. He knelt at that altar with his head in his hands, tears flowing from his face. Preacher says, something's bad wrong here. The preacher went over to him and said, Brother, is there something I can pray for? And that man looked at him and said, Preacher, last night, last night I had a dream. You ever had a dream that was, seemed very real? Well, I'll tell you, you're in that, boy, boy you, were, you were in the zone. I mean, boy, it was happening. He woke up and he says, oh, it's only a dream. Well, but it can be very real at the time. And he said, last night I had a dream. I dreamed I was there when they crucified Jesus. I was standing in the crowd and I saw Jesus come out on the porch and the crowd was saying, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. We will not have this man rule over us. And I tried to tell him, no, no, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. He loves you. That's Jesus. But the crowd was so mean and so insistent. And I saw them take Jesus in my dream out. And they tied him to that whipping post. His hands above his head. His feet just elevated above the soil of the earth. And preacher. There was this Roman soldier, strong and muscular. And he had a whip in his hand. And with all the strength that he had, he took that whip over, over. I saw the skin tear 
the blood squirt out and splattered, but relentlessly, this Roman soldier, constantly, on the back of Jesus. And finally he said, Preacher, in my dream, I could take it no more. And he raised his hand again to come down upon Jesus. And I left the crowd and I went up to him and I grabbed his arm and said, No, 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 you'll not hit my Jesus again. And he turned around and looked at me. And when he turned around and looked at me, I saw that he was me. And I realized I'm the one to blame. It was my sin that brought that whip upon his back. It was my sin that caused his blood to spurt. It was my sin that caused his pain. The depth of sin is so great. Yes, it was you and it was me. And our sin that nailed him to the cross that day. You cannot lightly gross over the wrong of your life. You can change its names, make it sound more pleasurable, I guess. Call them substance abusers instead of drunkards. We call it significant other instead of adultery. But whatever fancy, nice name you give it, sin hurts. And there are so many today in your community and in the state of Vermont, indeed around the world, that are feeling the effect of sin upon their life. Haven't you had enough of it? What will it take for you to turn your attention toward God who loved you and wants you to spend an eternity with him? You see, sin is no light matter. Matter of fact, sin is the second biggest thing in the world. Now, having said that, that might have sparked a question in your mind. If not, I'll put the question there. If sin is the second biggest thing in the world, what's the biggest thing? That would be the love of God. The greatest verse in the Bible. I, was, uh, I have a tie somebody gave me. Uh, maybe you, you have one or you've seen one. A John 3.16 tie. has John 3.16 on the tie. Preacher and I were out in a restaurant one time, and there was one of those places where you pay when you go out to have a cashier there. And uh, so he handed uh, the cashier the, uh, the bill and, and, his, and his credit card, and she's looking at my tie, and she's going, I thought maybe I spilled food on it or something. <laughs> I'm getting to be embarrassed. And I looked up and I said, she says, what's that on your tie? Oh, I said, that one, that's one of the most famous Bible verses in the world. That's John 3.16. I quoted it to her. And she said, you know, my grandmother always tells me that. And I said, you go back to your grandma and have her tell you more about Jesus. You know John 3.16, don't you? I've done it before. I'm going to do it again, and I'll do it next time before I come back. Let's quote it out loud. We know the verse, John 3, 16. What is it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved, he gave. 
You cannot love without giving. I'm telling you, you love God and never give God anything. Now, I'm not talking about just money. And by the way, you're not giving God any money because what is he going to do with it? Money means nothing to God. We, we give for the ministry, for the Lord's ministry. We give so we could have electricity. <laughs> we give so we could have indoor plumbing. Isn't that nice? <laughs> we give so we could have warmth in the winter and coolness. And that's what we do the work and the ministry of God. But God's not interested in your money. Good night, he paves Heaven's street with gold, builds a, a wall, and he uses diamonds and rubies and, and, and all kinds of precious stones. Money means nothing to God, but it means a whole lot to us sometimes. And we show our love to him by giving to his work and in his ministry. But it involves more than that. It involves giving your heart and your devotion and your time to the service of God. God so loved he gave. I get tired of people who say, yeah, God's always wanting this, and God's always wanting that, and God's... Before God ever asked anything from you, he gave you. He's, well, what does God give up my life? Because he gave you life, that's why. God never takes anything without first giving it to you. There was a little girl, I think she was 11 years old. She was stricken with a very rare disease. No doctor in America ever heard of it, could treat it. And she was going to die. But the parents says, we can't let her die. They began calling. And they found a doctor in Australia who had some dealings with this particular disease. And they said, would you come to America? We'll pay your way. We'll pay your transportation. We'll pay your hotel. We'll pay whatever meals, anything you need. We will pay. And it was quite a large amount of money. They didn't have anything. Insurance didn't cover it. So they took all the furniture from the house. They put it on the front lawn. Their sofa, the recliner, the TV, the dinette set, things of the kitchen, and had a big set. Neighbors knew what was going on. They were gladly to pay even more than what they were asking because they knew what it was for. And when the house was empty, they put a for sale sign on their automobiles out in the front to sell those, and then eventually a for sale sign on the house. That tells me two things. It tells me there was something drastically wrong with that little girl, that it took that type of love to get her help. And secondly, it tells me that they loved her greatly. And when I look at Calvary, I look at Jesus, and I measure the cross, my depth of sin on the cross. How much God has loved us and given his only begotten son. We have Veterans Day coming up in November. And I think of the sacrifice that men and women have made in defense of our nation. On that Veterans Day, there will be a widow remembering her husband going off to war and not coming back. She remembered that last hug, that final kiss, and the last, I love you. There will be a husband. There will be children without their daddy, without their mother. 
because men and women loved liberty and freedom of America more than their own life. But how much more than that? God who loved you. Which brings us to the second measure of the cross. We see the depth of our sin measured by the cross. But we also see not only the depth of sin, but we see the height of the love of God. We already quoted John 3.16. But we see not only how deep man can go in sin, but we see how high God can go in his love for you. And, and, and for me, God so loved he gave, not of the gold, not of the silver, not of the cattle, not of the beauty of the mountains, nor even of the heavenly host, but his only, only, only begotten son. And by the way, if your Bible does not say God gave his only begotten son, it is not true. Many Bibles today will say God gave his one and only son. No, 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 no. Let me explain quickly. You see, that word begotten is extremely important. For instance, if my wife and I were childless, if somehow we couldn't have children, but we adopted a child, that child would be legally ours. He would have our name. He would inherit what we have upon our demise. But he is not begotten of us. Our one and only child. Yes, Jesus was not the one and only son of God. He was the only begotten of God. Which means conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. You see, he was God because of the miraculous conception. He was man being born of a woman. Only begotten Son of God. One day, glories of heaven. Next day, the toils of the earth. He gave his only begotten Son because he loved us so much and wants you to spend an eternity with him in heaven. See, it's not that we shove religion down people's throats. We don't do that. But it's just that we have something so good we want others to have it too. We want others to have the joy of heaven instead of the torments of hell. Some years ago when I was preaching in the Philippines and it was a wonderful country and I, I certainly loved it. For one thing, everybody was my size. <laughs> I was even taller than some of them. But we went up into one particular area in Providence which is very, very remote. We would go to various villages and we would have like the wordless book. You've seen the wordless book with the colors and we'd show the boys and girls the different colors and, and bring them to Christ and then establish a church there and leave a Filipino pastor there in charge of the new church that we established there. And they always wanted to come out and see the Americans. Some of them never saw an American. And we'd go into one particular village, I remember, and all the children come around, and we, boy, we gathered them and around us, and we had a good old time. But one of the boys stood far, far, far to the side. And he was standing there just watching everybody else. Thought that was kind of strange. So I thought, maybe he's just shy. So I thought, I'd go to him. So I began walking towards him, and when I did, he started going, 
And I realized something's wrong. I went over to the pastor. I said, Pastor, that boy over there, he's really shy, isn't he? He says, oh, no, brother. Says, he's not shy at all. He's embarrassed. I said, sir, you see, one night, somehow his little sister was sleeping by a fire, and a spark flew out of the fire and caught her clothing on fire. He woke up to her cries and screams. And without thinking, he took his hands and beat out the fire. We have no hospitals up here. We have no doctors. There's no nurses. We did what we could. Put his hands in cool water and bandaged him up. But they are badly deformed and crusted over. And he's just embarrassed about it. That struck my heart. So I went over. I, him again, and he began backing up. I said, son, 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 it's okay, please, please. Let, let me talk to you. And I got up to him, and I got down on one knee, and began to look, and said, pastor told me what you did. Just, is that true? He goes, son, can I see your hands, please? No, 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 please, please, I want to see them. And he took them out in front of me, and they were twisted, and hardened, and crusted. Can I touch him? Oh, no, I, I, I'll be careful. I promise, I promise I won't hurt you. I felt them. I said, so, tell me, didn't that hurt? Yes, Pastor, it hurt. It hurt a lot, and it still hurts. I said, why did you do it? And he looked me right in the eye, and he said, well, I couldn't let her die, could I? And I began thinking, that's what Jesus said. Yes, it hurt to have the nails in my hand. Yes, it hurt to have nails in my feet. Yes, it hurt to have a crown of thorns around my brow. It hurt, it hurt. But I couldn't let you die in sin. So I did it. I did it for you. And Jesus, without thinking of himself, plucked out of heaven, beat the flames of hell when he cried out, I thirst, as they were licking at his soul because of his great love for you and for me. And he's saying, when he hung on that cross, when he said those first words, Father, forgive them, he's saying, I can't let you die without paying the price for your sin. That's the height of God's love. The depth of sin, the height of God. But we also see the breadth of the cross and the needs that are met in our life. Philippians 4.19, how familiar we are with this verse. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. You see, folks, not only did God save your soul and made provisions for you to go to heaven, but he also made provisions for you to live upon this earth as well. You see, being saved doesn't take away all your troubles. Wouldn't that be nice? Being saved doesn't mean you're never going to have another heartache, never going to have another problem. You know, no, it doesn't mean that at all. But what it does mean, bless God, is that you don't 
have to go through it alone. And God says, I am with you. I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. And sometimes God will bring you into a circumstance. And we pray like Paul said, Lord, three times I pray, take this affliction away. Take this affliction away. And take this affliction away. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. I don't know why. God brings troubles upon some of us. I don't have that type of wisdom. But I do know this, that God is too wise to make a mistake and too loving to be unkind. And sometimes the situation doesn't change. So God changes us in that situation. And folks, that's not always easy to accept. But when Jesus died, he died for every need you have in your, your life. And amid the discords of life, and isn't that true today? You cannot watch the news on TV without seeing a bunch of people mad. Everybody's yelling and shouting and marching and protesting, big signs, and everybody's mad today. I see it even on the highways. People just get mad at each other, zigzag, and you know, it just, that's not the life God wants for you. Living from one day to the next just to get another drink. One day to the next to get another fix. One day to the next, just get through this. And if I can get through this, it'll be fine. No, God has an abundant life for you. Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And the life that God wants you to live today is a life of joy and of peace. Trouble? Yeah, we're trouble on every side, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not cast out. God has a life for you to live of joy and blessing, if you'll accept it. A young man called me, me and his wife that we have known. I've lost touch with him. He was a pilot for a major commercial airline. And he uh, called me and told me, he said, Brother Sousa, Tell you why I'm calling. My wife had a baby. So, well, congratulations. He said, Well, thank you, but the baby died three days after birth. I tell you, there are times even a preacher doesn't know what to say. He said, My wife and I were wondering if you say a few words, we're going to have a little graveside burial, not a funeral, and just a little plot in a cemetery. And if you would meet us there, this was in New Milford, Connecticut. If you would meet us there and just say a few words. They named their little daughter Faith after my wife. <laughs> I agreed to meet them. We drove to the cemetery. I saw them standing on a little hillside. And I parked the car and walked up. And I saw that little white casket, like a mailbox, on the ground waiting to be buried. They were standing there and her head was on his shoulder and she was crying understandably so. When I got there and we greeted each other and embraced each other, and what does a preacher say like that? We don't have a bunch of canned sermons and canned phrases and you know that you could just pull out in a time like that. So come from my heart and I said a few words of encouragement how that child 
have been blessed by God to grow up in heaven at the foot of Jesus. Talked about how one day we'll be united together as David said to his child that he loved. And David knew what it was like to lose a child too. And he said, he won't come to me. He's dead. He ain't coming to me. But I'm going to go to him. And one day we'll be united with our loved ones. Some of you have loved ones that have been praying for you. They're going to heaven. They talk to you about being saved. And you just brush it off and don't pay much attention. To, but they want to see you in heaven, will they? After a few more moments, I said a few more words. and The time came to commit that little body to the dust of the earth to await the resurrection morning. Souls with Jesus. I bowed my head to pray. And when I opened my eyes, there they were. They were on their knees, holding their hands up on each other on top of that little casket. I closed the prayer. They stood up and had a few words to say before I left. As I was walking away, I heard him turn to her and say, it's okay, honey. God will bring us through this too. You see, the life with God is far better than without him. Yeah, we having troubles. We cry at funerals like everybody else. Yeah, we have pains and aches, yes. We have troubles, maybe financial troubles. But one thing is for sure, our soul is safe with Jesus. And we have a home prepared. We sing, I have a home beyond the river. How true that is today. Can you say that about your life of a surety today? If not, I want you to open your heart to Jesus Christ. But if the Lord can save your soul, you know what? He could take care of your life as well. And we need to commit and recommit our life to the Lord. But then lastly, and I'm finished. Yes, the cross measures the depth of human sin. Yes, the cross measures the height of the love of God and the breadth of God's power to meet the needs in our life. But the cross also measures salvation for all mankind. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, it says, There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Well, if everybody just believes in God, isn't that enough? Jesus said, no, I am the door. If I'm going to leave this auditorium, I'm going to have to go through a door. If you're going to enter heaven, you're going to have to go through the door. That's Mark Jesus. None of the name under heaven. That means every Baptist, Episcopalian, every Catholic, every Jew, every Muslim, every Hindu, and whatever religion you want to throw in there, if they're going to enter into God's heaven, must come through Jesus Christ and him alone. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He was blind, sitting on a park bench, and he had one of those Braille Bibles. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They're really thick because, you know, that sometimes they're more than one volume, and, 
because of the, the, the way it's laid out. But you know what Braille is. You've seen it sometime on elevators. You know, uh, they got those little bumps. And, you know, sometimes just for fun, I try to figure out, I try to feel them and see what they're like, you know, uh, and all. Uh, and he was reading his Braille Bible. And he was in Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, that we just quoted to you. As he was reading, a bunch of smart aleck kids come walking by him. They saw his white cane. They knew he was blind, saw his dark glasses. And they began taunting him, poking fun at him. Then they, they grabbed the Bible from him and, and passing it around with, and joking with And finally, when they had their fun, they left. But one of those young men had enough integrity to come back. And he says, sir, please, I apologize for my friends. We didn't do right. We treated you wrong. And he goes, son, you see my Bible around? He said, yes, it's over here. Now, it was one of those Braille Bibles that they called like an interlinear, which means it had the Braille words, you know, there. But underneath it had the printed text, so you could tell, you know, what that, what that meant. He said, son, you see my Bible? He said, yes, sir, it's right here. He says, you put it on my, and, and, and find where I was reading the book of Acts. And the young man fumbled through and says, no, 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 it's further towards the end. It's further. Nope, that's too far. Come back over here. And finally, the book of Acts, chapter 12, uh, chapter 4, verse number 12, he says, would you put my hand on verse number 12? That young man took that blind man's hand, put it on that braille, and the man began, no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That young man said, sir, what is that name that you're talking about, that you're reading? And there, that one that had no... Physical sight gave spiritual sight to this young man, and he was gloriously saved. No other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No baptism can save you. Even Vermont water can't wash away your sin. <laughs> no sacrament can save you. No prayers for the dead can save you, can, can save you. No church can save you. Church didn't die for your sin. The Catholic Church didn't die for your sin. The Baptist Church didn't die for your sin. The Presbyterian Church, the Episcopalian Church, or any other church or fellowships or Sundays, whatever they call themselves today, didn't die for your sin. It was Jesus that died for your sin. And it is by his name we can be saved. Final illustration to sum this up. Years ago, before we had all the weather radar and satellites and that we have now, family was taking a trip to see their ancestors in Europe. A mother, a father, and a very young boy. They got on the ship, everything went well until a storm came up. So they had no way of knowing storms as they do today. And it got pretty fierce. And finally, the captain gave the command to man the lifeboats. The ship wasn't going to make it. It was taking on more water than it could bail out. Everybody scrambled to the post in which they were assigned and began getting into the lifeboats. But it was soon apparent there wasn't enough lifeboats for everybody, nor enough life preservers. And that father took off his life preserver. And he says, I want you to put this on my son. And you and him get in the boat. 
I'll stay on the ship. She begged him. No, honey, please don't do this. We can make it together. We can make it together. We'll help each other. Don't do this. But his, his mind was set. Take my son. Get in the boat to safety. I'll go down with the ship. When he's old enough, just tell him I loved him that much that I gave him my life preserver to live. Well, the years have passed. The young man began to grow. And one day he was walking across the fireplace mantle. There was a picture of Daddy. And he says, Mama, tell me about Daddy. She knew that day would come. She rehearsed it in her mind. She sat him down and she began to explain the trip, the storm, the situation. She says, son, your daddy loved you so much. He was willing to die that you might live. The young man was astonished. He goes, wow, really? He stood up. He walked over to that fire mantle, reached up on his toes, that, that picture, brought it down and said, Daddy, I love you, and held it to his heart. And folks, when I see the cross, I say, Jesus, I love you. <clears throat> I want to love you more. You see, the cross isn't just a symbol. And it does picture for us the depth of our sin nailed to the cross. The height of God's love overshadowing it all. The breadth of it providing for every need in our life. The measure of salvation